Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. When I thought my greatest need was to be loved, a good day was when I was noticed, appreciated, cared for, and shown affection. Now, a good day, if I believe my greatest need is to learn how to love, is when I can notice, when I can show affection, when I can serve. That's Gary Thomas describing a profound change in perspective that really transformed his marriage. And today you'll hear how God wants to do the same thing for you and your spouse. This is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, when it comes right down to it, I think every husband and wife secretly wants the happily ever after part of marriage. Who doesn't? Now, we don't really believe in fairy tales, but there's this innate desire and longing, which I think is God-given, that wishes for something better and more loving and more intimate with your spouse. Admittedly, it's easy to get distracted by the busyness of life, and we can put marriage and family on autopilot and cruise along, thinking everything's okay. But as followers of Christ, we know that our marriages are meant to be a spiritual symbol of something much bigger and deeper than we can even imagine. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul calls marriage a mystery and compares it to the relationship Jesus Christ has with the church. So we really can't afford to take our marriages for granted. And the good news is that God does have something better, more loving and more intimate in mind for you and your spouse. And we're going to hear about that today from Gary Thomas. Right. Gary was our guest at a special event just a few months back where we interviewed him on the stage of our chapel before a live audience of about 40 couples who are friends of Focus on the Family. And our topic was Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. Jim, here's how you began the conversation with Gary Thomas on today's episode of Focus on the Family. Okay, you've written this wonderful book, uh, A Lifelong Love, but i got to get right to it. You admitted that when you first got married, you did it for all the wrong reasons. I think I know what that means, but you said it was all selfish. It, it was. It was a shocking time of prayer for me when I was just asked, I believe by God in prayer, why did you marry your wife? And there were a lot of reasons for me to marry someone like Lisa. She had so many good qualities. I Loved the way she looked. I thought she would be a great mom. I liked the way her mind thought. Um, I knew she loved the Lord. And I was like, well, she's this, this, and this. And you know, you should have started with that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but it hit me that in many ways, I got married to Lisa because of everything that I thought she would bring to me. I thought I would have a better life if I could get Lisa to marry me, or if I could get Lisa to marry me than someone else. And while we all kind of make those decisions, it was just shocking to realize that it was selfishness that was moving me into marriage when I believe God designed marriage to pull us out of our selfishness. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty normal for most of us, though. I think that's how we start. You know, we notice somebody that we're attracted to, and then it moves from there. Yeah. You used a term in your book called spider spouses. Yes, yeah. So that sounds a little creepy. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> What's it is. a spider Think spouse? Think about how nefarious this is. That this spider constructs this web for one purpose, to catch victims 
and then eat them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what and what's is. the analogy to marriage? I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. But, but in some ways, we construct these webs. How can I look mm. attractive? How can I do this? How can I get you to consider this? So that then I can go and you can meet all my needs and I can feed off you. Feed off your affirmation, feed off your wealth, feed off sexual interest. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons that move people to get married. And that's, it's really a, a disgusting picture that to show our selfishness for what it really is. And again, if God's agenda in marriage is to pull us out of our selfishness, whatever led us into marriage, we have to realize, okay, if I want to go God's pathway into marriage, I've got to stop being a spider spouse. I've got to look at marriage from an entirely different angle, not to be a spider, but to see, be someone who blesses my yeah, spouse. Yeah, that is so good. You, you go on to say in the book about 1 Corinthians 13 that that's the marriage passage. I think many of us know that passage, but what stands out in 1 Corinthians 13 for you? Well, how so often when people come into me for counseling, they don't realize how they are directly contradicting what Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't boast, and they boast about how they're the better spouse. <laughs> Love keeps no record of wrong, and the wife will say, do you realize when he was in college, he got fired from Taco Bell for this, and he got kicked out of school for that, and he got that, okay. And if I would just read 1 Corinthians 13 right there, they go, oops, because they're, they're coming here with all the things that their spouse doesn't do, and I'm saying, well, yeah, you're, that's true, and you're not doing anything that Paul describes as love in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's really what we look at marriage as, is that it's not that one person is right or wrong. It's how marriage helps both of us become more right, more loving, fulfilling 1 Corinthians 13. Because I don't think that most of us get married with the agenda that God has. And if I could just add on to when I got married selfishly, the other thing I think was so wrong when I got married is I thought my greatest need was to be loved. I loved movies, I loved pop music, I loved novels, and every one of them were in agreement that that was what would be fulfilling. I had to find that love. That was my greatest need. And I believe that God would have told me, no, your need to be loved has been met perfectly in the person of Jesus. No one can love you more than I've loved you. I died for your sins. I've given you my spirit who comforts you, who convicts you. If you start to do those stupid things, makes you miserable so you turn around and come back. And so if, if you were in Christ, I don't believe your greatest need is to be loved. Your greatest need is to learn how to love. Well, that's a big paradigm shift. Oh, it was months for me. It's like when this is God dropped in, and, and I really struggled with it for months. But then I, I put in the scripture. I don't want people just to take my experience. There are so many verses that say love extravagantly. You love you, the love you have for everyone should be increasing. Love even your enemies. There isn't a single verse that says... To be fulfilled, find a romantic partner who will love you like you've never been loved before. <laughs> so I think the silence of Scripture is very loud. And the overwhelming witness of Scripture is you need to learn how to love. I didn't get married for that reason. But I believe God wanted me to get married for that reason. And I grew in my appreciation and satisfaction in marriage when my agenda began to align with God's rather than trying to get God yeah. to give me what I thought I needed out of marriage. Well, and again, with that paradigm shift, uh, you also talk about a monk's marriage. Now, I didn't know monks could be That's married. That's a big paradigm <laughs> shift. Yeah, that is a paradigm <laughs> shift. Uh, so first of all, I need that definition. What did you mean by follow a monk's marriage? Well, it's a little bit of a creative thing, but I go off Psalm 146 that says, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. 
So let's go back 3,000 years when that psalm was written. It doesn't sound that shocking to us now because kings are sort of figureheads. Back then, kings had unrivaled, unquestioned authority. If they said, you're poor, you're going to be poor. If they said, I want your wife, they got your wife. If they said, you're going to die, you died. If you go to prison, they did everything. And so when the psalmist says, don't put your trust in a king that you can see, put your trust in God who you can't, it was a shocking thing because everything within you would say, I have to have favor with the king because he can determine my life on earth. And the psalmist is saying, no, because in the end, he doesn't determine your destiny. You have to trust in the God who you can't see. So let's apply this to marriage. We put our hope in a spouse we can see, not in the God we can't see. How I tied it in with a monk, it may be the weird way my mind works, but you guys know I like to read the Christian classics. I would read these books of monks and nuns that had very satisfying lives because they were so in love with Jesus. And I thought, well, they're happy, but they're not having all, they don't expect a spouse to do this or a spouse to notice this or hear this or provide this or offer that. And yet they're so happy. So what if I could have this monk's attitude that I will find my fulfillment and joy and meaning and purpose and affirmation from God. And then everything my spouse gives me is extra. It's not an expectation. It's find my satisfaction to God. And so then instead of being frustrated that I'm not getting this because I want that and that because I want that. It's like I have this from God and I get your smile too or your kiss too or your attaboy too. And because and, it dawned on me so often when we're dating we have this attitude. Wow, you, you got me flowers. You got this present. You sent me a card. And then the wife says after they're married you got me flowers again. You got me a card that you didn't even write. I mean, it, the, the thing that delights you as a boyfriend or girlfriend can frustrate you as a husband or wife. It's all because of expectations. They're, you don't expect in dating that they have to do it. Now they're a spouse and you expect them to do it. So you lose the joy. So it's really this way of saying, how do we recapture the joy in marriage? By saying, married people should be just as dependent on God for their satisfaction for their affirmation, for their hope, their joy, their peace. And then marriage is added on to it rather than try to draw the, the majority of our affirmation, satisfaction, joy, and peace from our spouse and go to church once a week and re- remember that God loves us yeah, and forgives us. I think you're saying some wonderful things here. And uh, I remember being criticized by, in a book I wrote uh, about keeping your expectations low about people that way your disappointments are pretty rare. And that's what I got criticized for. Daily's best advice is keep your expectations low. But you're saying the same thing I am, that in marriage, put your hope in God. Yeah. Put your trust in God. Now, let me just play, you know, the opposite side of this. Um, it's great. It sounds wonderful in theory to be that in love with God that all your needs are met in your relationship with the Lord. Lisa's sitting right here. Have you been able to achieve that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Look, I, Sorry. Here's what I've realized, and maybe this is why I write about it, because you see your own weaknesses. I often tell people my marriage books are the stories of my failures and God trying to call me out of them, D- to be honest. Which helps the rest of us, by the right. way. Thank yeah. you. And obviously we have the same critics, because I recognize <laughs> that voice. But I was reading the Philokalia. I don't, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's this... Eastern Orthodox group for like 4th to 15th centuries, the great classical writings from the Eastern Orthodox Church. I, I like to read out of the tradition. And one of the things that, that keeps coming back if you read through that, I mean, it's gigantic, so you usually read sections, but 
is, and I love it because the East looks at things differently than the West, this lust for praise that they insist cannot be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And the lust for praise is every bit as strong as the lust for more money, materialism, the lust for um, excitement, sexual lust, gluttony. What, what they're saying is you start to give into it if you need it, it grows. It's not satisfying. It demands more and more of you until it ruins you. And I talk in a lifelong love about acts of secret service, which, and the whole point was how many wins I get. One, I'm able to serve my wife without her knowing it. And so I look for things to do that she'll never know about. Uh, it turns my heart to think about how do I serve her instead of how am I being noticed or served. They're like five wins when you start to say, how can I be giving? I want to be the opposite of a spider spouse. I want to give, even if it's in secret, even if I'm not noticed for giving. And Jim, there's a joy from the Lord when you're loving his daughter out of love for him in a way that only he sees. And it's a whole lot more than um, you could ever expect from And we're going to unpack more of that because I love that idea that you married God's daughter, so watch out. But uh, I also was caught by something that you mentioned in the book where you encourage spouses to become counselors for the defense side of the uh, courtroom rather than on the prosecution side. Okay, I just got to say, we got a lot of married couples here. How many of us tend to uh, work for the prosecuting attorney at times in your marriage? Anybody want to put your hand up? Well, look, nobody, just me. I, I did. <laughs> Just I did John kind of. and me. All right. Okay. There's okay. Three more. Okay. But how is that the case? Why do we not first go to defend our spouse rather than go to the prosecutor's bench? Well, I I believe a lot of it comes down to remembering and living out the gospel. First John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. And when I remember that God isn't my prosecuting attorney that in fact he is my defense counsel. He's often defending me from me. I'm talking about myself in a way that that injured God. He doesn't want me to talk about me the way I talk about me. But there was a story I just thought was brilliant of a woman. She was in England and she was complaining to her, the rector at at the church where they were at about her husband was doing this and that and this and that. And and he, he said, I've been listening to you for weeks complaining about your husband. He said, I just want you to do one thing for me. I want you to go back I want you just to sit before the Lord and ask God why your husband might be the way he is. And she was like, of course, he's a man. He's going to take the husband's side. This is just ridiculous. So she did, and God began to speak. And she went through the early years of their marriage just about what he went through with his mom dying and the humiliation of losing his job and having to move back in with his parents and, and all of these things. I don't have time to go into all of them, but she realized... She just felt so sorry for him. And she realized, okay, yeah, sometimes he might be short. Sometimes he might be impatient. And she goes, but look at the pressure he was under. Look at the shame he was doing. And that never excuses Jim. And and I know you know this. It never excuses a husband being short or sharp or or, uh, inattentive. But sometimes I found that it's really helpful to say when we're most frustrated with what our spouse is doing, God, why is she acting this way? God, why is he acting that way? Not to excuse your spouse, but to understand your spouse. And often you'll hear that God's saying, you know what? It, it, not acting perfectly, but have you ever thought about this is the wound that they're carrying? And then we can be a part of healing 
not by condemning him. I mean, look, a prosecuting attorney means you send your spouse to jail. You know, who who wins with that? This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Christmas memories of baking and sharing stories with your family. That's depicted in the Jacle from Focus on the Family titled Family Traditions. This story and paint by artist Morgan Weisling, a portrait of a lively family kitchen scene, will find a special place in your home and heart. Find out how to get a signed version of the special edition print at focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. That's focusonthefamily.com slash family traditions. Man, I knew my marriage was falling apart. I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. I think it was in a broadcast taping that we had done earlier that you had mentioned something like that. And I remember going home. Jean is always excited when I come home and I say, hey, you know, let's spend 10 minutes together uninterrupted. She'll say, who did you talk with today? (laughs) So I'm usually giving you a lot of credit. But this is one that I, I took away from our conversation some time ago. You know, when you're in the midst of a discussion, a yeah. heated discussion with your spouse, yeah. do you realize she's the daughter yeah. of God? Yeah. Wow, it, that changes your paradigm. It, it has been the single biggest insight that has changed the way I look at marriage and try to live my marriage and the way I look at my wife. I was not being a good husband, and there are many a times that that was the case. And just in prayer, applying 1 John 3, 1, behold, how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. I claim that as a single man. That's my identity. I'm God's son. No one can take that away. And God was pointing out to me, Gary, it's also true of your wife. Lisa's my daughter. She's not just your wife. She's my daughter. And I expect you to treat her as such. And then when I had daughters, it was a whole new element. We also have a son. But I realized if you want to get on my good side, it's easy. Just be good to one of my kids. Be kind. Be loving. Be their best friend. I'll love you if you're my kid's friend. And if you want to get on my bad side, it's just as easy. Be mean to one of my kids. Shame one of my kids. Break one of my kid's heart. I mean, my, my blood pressure will go up if I even see your name because I'd rather you mess with me than one of my kids. And when I realized that's how God looks at my wife, as his daughter, in a holier and purer and more intense way, everything about my marriage changed. Uh, because the reality is, the Bible promises us we marry somebody, James 3, 2, who stumbles in many ways. Our spouses, in a worldly sense, are not always worthy of being loved. God is always worthy of being worshipped and revered. And when I love my wife out of reverence for God, because she's his daughter there's always the reason to love her. I mean, I'll never run out of her. She's always lovable because of that. It's not the only reason I love her, but it's a motivation that goes beyond the fact that I stumble in many ways, that she stumbles in many ways. We honor the God who created us, and and we worship him through that. And so stopping to just think of God as my heavenly father and remembering that he's also my heavenly father in law 
<laughs> as something that has just transformed the way I look at marriage. Um, you believe every marriage should have a magnificent obsession. Yes. Mine happens to be cleaning my garage. <laughs> is am that I, am I missing obsession? the boat? Does that make is, it magnificent? Does that fit in your definition? Well, yeah, yeah. It's my, my wife's is cleaning the kitchen. So there <laughs> we go. We, we can't leave the house if it's not obsessively clean because we might die when we're gone and somebody might see our kitchen when we go back. I always think it's funny. Anyway, um, the magnificent obsession is, I'm stealing that phrase from a classical writer several hundred years ago to summarize Jesus' words in Matthew 6.33 when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word first is very important. The word seek is very important. In Greek, it's continuous present tense. Continually keep on seeking above everything else the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it's my belief that that is the best agenda for a lifelong love, a satisfying marriage, because it deals with the two issues that brings most marriages down. I've been dealing with marriage ministry now for decades, and two of the things that I see, the first one that brings a lot of couples down, it's not some mystical thing, it'll almost sound mundane, but the reality is couples get bored with each other. They so drift they, apart. They just drift apart. And then the kids are graduated and they don't even have that to share anymore. And so they drop the kid off at college and stop at the lawyer on the way home and say, okay, um, we're done. Seeking first the kingdom of God just points out the fact that we were made for more than marriage. That's why we get bored with each other. None of us are so fascinating that we can keep each other enthralled for five or six decades. We're just, we're just not that. Um, five or six dates you can. Five or six years is a challenge. I like that low expectation. <laughs> well, five or six decades, it's not going to happen. But if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, what I've found, that's what gives meaning to your life. I believe God wants us to be discontent and listless if we're living a selfish life. We weren't created to live a selfish life. And living for romantic happiness is a selfish life. Living for just financial comfort is a selfish life. Living just to have even a happy family in one sense can be a selfish life. We were created to impact eternity, for God to impact eternity through us. And so what I found is that it gives you a reason to pray for each other and with each other. It gives a new respect. I, I tell husbands, if there are husbands listening, how do I get my wife to be impressed by me? Here's the easiest thing to do. Offer yourself in service to God because you find out the Holy Spirit is real. And he will gift you if you make yourself available. And he will use you. And your wife will say, man, I didn't know he had that. I mean, it's just fun. And Lisa and I have even noticed this as empty nesters. Now that we've been empty nesters, we do a lot more together. And we started doing um, most of our premarital counseling together. So the first time I'm with a couple and there's this going on and I'm asking this and I'm pointing out this. And you got to look at this and we get done. Lisa's like... Wow, you're pretty good at this. And there, there was just this new appreciation or respect. But it's not me. I mean, I, it's, it's, you offer yourself to the Holy Spirit and he uses you. So I just say if you want to get your husband's affection or your wife's affection, just get the Holy Spirit on your side. And you get the Holy Spirit on your side by seeking first the kingdom of God, which is why I say don't worry about falling out of love. Neurochemically, that's going to happen. Worry about falling out of purpose. That's good. So the, the first part is don't worry about falling out of love. Worry about falling out of purpose. The second one is don't worry about falling out of love. 
worry about falling out of repentance. Mm. Because when I'm seeking first his righteousness, I'm becoming the kind of person a woman wants to be married to. I'm dying to the things that destroy most marriages. Anger, rage, malice, uh, lust, um, greed, all of those things that make somebody miserable to be around. And righteousness isn't just avoiding the bad, it's building the good of Christ. I'm growing in patience and kindness and gentleness and love and understanding and humility. Those are the things that somebody wants to be around. And so by doing, seeking first his righteousness, I'm becoming the kind of person that somebody else wants to be around, which ultimately builds my marriage. And I'm just telling you as a pastor, 90% of the issues when somebody comes into my office, it's an issue of character. Somebody is acting with anger or lust or a lack of self-control or spending is out of control or whatnot. And so if we would follow the magnificent obsession, build our marriages on purpose and righteousness, we kill the two things that destroy most marriages. That's good. Some profound observations from our guest today on Focus on the Family, Gary Thomas, based on his book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. I really love how Gary keeps pointing us back to the solid foundation of God's Word. Because let's face it, our popular notions of love and attractiveness and passion are all self-focused. It's all about me. And in effect, we're ignoring God's plan and design for what marriage should be. As believers, we need to be mindful of this issue because we are Christ's representatives to a watching world. How you interact with and treat your spouse will determine whether or not your faith is seen as legitimate and real. And that's why I recommend Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, to you and your spouse, whether you're newlyweds or have been married for decades. This is an excellent resource that can take your relationship to the next level and help you grow in your faith as a couple. I think single adults will benefit from this book as well. I'd love to send you a copy in exchange for a gift of any amount to focus on the family. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting and encouraging marriages today. And I invite you to do ministry through Focus on the Family. Give generously so that together we can respond to the hundreds of thousands of couples who will contact us for help and resources for their families. We need you, and I look forward to our ongoing partnership. Donate today and get Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or you can stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And uh, we have a free marriage assessment to help you evaluate how the relationship with your spouse is going, and it'll identify your strengths as a couple and some areas where you may need some improvement. Again, you'll find that free assessment linked over at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. We'll plan now to join us tomorrow for more insights and encouragement from Gary Thomas. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, Thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned. Here's a radical new idea. Find something to do to serve God together. Mm. Say, 
now that we have more time, what, what resources, what gifts, what opportunities do we have? Maybe it's our house, maybe it's our time, maybe it's our, what can we give to God together and see what God does with it and see if that doesn't give new life and new vitality into your marriage. That's Gary Thomas describing what he calls a magnificent obsession for your marriage. And Gary was our guest last time on Focus on the Family, and we're looking forward to more of his insights, advice, and encouragement today. Your host is Focus on the Family president and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we featured a powerful conversation last time with Gary, uh, where he had some very challenging insights for couples, like all of the selfish reasons we get married in the first place, because of how attractive my spouse is, all the benefits my spouse can give me, and the wonderful ways my spouse makes me feel. I was kind of convicted, actually. (laughs) But in fact, uh, Gary said we're often like spider spouses, uh, trying to attract a mate into our web so they can meet all our needs. There's a word picture for you. Uh, Gary also urged couples to act more like counselors for the defense rather than prosecuting attorneys trying to win a case against each other. That one was a little convicting. And one of his analogies that I'll never forget is this. My wife, Jean, is God's child, and that makes God my father-in-law. That thought gives me pause and helps me realize uh, just how important it is for me to treat Jean the way God wants her to be treated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Gary's so good about helping us shift our thinking. And um, as we were talking, I really was considering how can I better love and serve my wife, Dina, um, especially now that we're in kind of an empty nest phase for the relationship. Now, we mentioned last time that what you're going to hear is a little unusual. Uh, Gary was our guest here on the campus for a special event that involved about 40 couples who are friends of Focus on the Family. And we were on a stage in our chapel discussing Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. Of course, we have copies of that book available for you. Just stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast. And now, part two of our conversation with Gary Thomas on today's Focus on the Family. For people of faith, I mean, sacrifice is at the heart of our religion and what we're called to do. But here's how I like to make it more palatable for married people. I look at it as sanding two pieces of wood so they can be glued more closely together. Mm. And so the image I like to use, I call it killing spiders. The reason I say this, I don't have a problem with spiders. Actually, spiders do a lot of good things because they kill up worse insects, right? But my wife hates to see spiders, the webs, because she's into cleanness. And, <laughs> well, and she doesn't want to see them. And so if there's a spider in the middle of the house, you know, I, I kill it because I love my wife. It bothers my wife. So I'm going to kill it. I don't want the spider in my house. Okay, this is so opposite of my wife because she makes me put it in a jar and take it outside. <laughs> What's the deal with that? Yeah, well, I would much rather kill it. That is my <laughs> sacrifice. You see, my wife would be angry if in trying to rescue it, I let it get away, uh, which I did recently with a spider. I mean, I think she just wanted me to man up and kill that thing. But anyway, um, so here's what I mean about killing spiders. Let's say, because this is not at all true of Lisa's family history, but let's say her dad had been an alcoholic. He, he wasn't. But while I might not have a theological problem with alcohol, and I know some people, I'm not trying to make that point, I would just say, even if I didn't think the Bible said I shouldn't drink alcohol at all, I could imagine that just smelling it on my breath 
Or maybe one night I have just a little bit too much and so my speech is a little bit slurred or I'm a little bit something. It's going to bring back the horror of a real childhood of how alcohol made her life so miserable. And I think I want her to feel safe around me, not threatened. I want her to have hope for our future, not fear. That's a spider I should kill. It's not about what's right or wrong. It's about what makes my wife feel close to me. If we were on a second marriage, we're not. Lisa and I are on a first marriage and our only marriage. But let's say her first husband had wrecked her marriage through excessive video gaming. I could imagine a good spider to kill be, you know what? I think that might be a good spider to kill because I can imagine picking up the game controller and she said, hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs. Yeah, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And then I forget and I get in a game. It's been 90 minutes and then she's asleep and she's going to be thinking, here it is again. It wrecked my first marriage. It's recognizing that your spouse has legitimate past and legitimate issues. How do you kill those spiders so that they feel that they can be close to you and safe in your presence? An image I've used was with my youngest daughter who was in three accidents on the freeway before she was 23 and none of them were her fault. Now those are scary auto accidents. Mm. She has to drive in the front when she's with me because she gets sick in the back seat so she rides shotgun. When she's in the car with me, I drive like Grandpa Gary. And this is in Houston, Texas, you know, where they're, it's a contest. I'm leaving as much space as I can between cars. I'm not treating other cars as they treat me because I want my daughter just to feel safe. She has a real history. It's not her fault. She's been through trauma and it's how do I make her not feel that trauma. So some people might say, well, Gary, I enjoy an occasional beer. Or I like my game controller. Or I like to drive aggressively. I said, if you knew what an intimate and connected marriage was, you would realize that those individual pursuits aren't worth half as much. Here's an example for Lisa and I. It's amazing because I'm the introvert and she's the extrovert. And so when we're traveling together, when we became empty nesters, we're traveling together. She's having all these conversations with people. I'm up front <laughs> on the stage, but she's having all these conversations and she's always telling me about it. And for whatever reason, she just, it's amazing to me. We could be at a hotel for three days and come out of an elevator. And if our room is right, she goes left. You'd think 50% of the time she would just accidentally go the right way because I'd let her go out first. But it's just, it's almost like repelling magnets. She goes the wrong way. Or we go to the parking lot. If our car is north, she goes south. And it's always kind of amazed me. So we came out of an elevator one time. We'd been there several days. And, and she did the same thing. Our room was left. She went right. I go, seriously? And that didn't make her feel close to me that evening, right? And when you're, when you're about to go into a hotel room ticking off your wife like that, I just thought, okay, that, I, I don't want to do that next time. Yeah. So we tried it the next night, and, and she did the same thing, and so I just stayed where I was. And she walked about 20 yards down the hall, realized I wasn't next to her. Shockingly, that also didn't make her feel very close to me. That made her angry. And so I'm trying to put it on her, as you said, well, look, if I say something, it makes you angry. If I don't say anything, it makes you feel stupid. Obviously, I, there's nothing I can do. She goes, Gary, it's so easy. It's so easy. Just say it this tone. This way, hon. Exactly that tone. This way, hon. And we'll both be so happy. Well, the next trip, I got to practice it. She went the wrong way. I said, this way, hon. She gave me this gorgeous smile. We laughed about it. And something that could have pulled us apart, I just said, tell me how I do that, actually now draws us together with happy memories. So I, I would say to wives, if the husbands say, I feel disrespected when you treat me like that, 
okay, I don't want you to feel disrespected, so tell me a better way to respond to you so that we can still deal with the issue, but that you can help me do it in a way so that this stops pulling us apart and actually creates understanding so it can pull it together. So I think it's totally legitimate to say, I want to love you. I don't know how to love you. I don't know how to make you feel safe. So why don't you help me um, and then have that conversation? Now, I've tried to do what you're suggesting, and I've found that I actually need to be open to what she's saying in terms of training me, right? There's, this is good. That's the tricky part. Well, I mean, you know, it's, I have, when you said I, you put it on her, I got that, Gary, because I've done that. And we've been trying to talk through, well, how does that trigger you, and how do I, if I open that door as a person of purpose, as a follower of Christ, I really need to be open to how she instructs me. And it might not be something as simple as this way, hon, right? Absolutely. So how do I handle that if she goes a direction that I'm not ready for? Because I thought it was a this way, hon. Yeah. And it's something bigger. Well, if we could go back to the second half of the magnificent obsession, if we see marriage as something designed by God to shape us, to, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm to seek righteousness, which implies I don't have it and that I have to grow into it. And so I've got to figure out how do I grow into the kind of righteous man who can love my wife in that way. Now, I'm being honest. Sometimes I resent it. I'm like the guy who goes to the gym and drives around the parking lot looking for a close place to park before he goes into exercise (laughs) and you realize have you lost all sense of purport this is why you're here to exercise and you're worried about walking too far into the gym and so I can resent it about marriage but then why do I go into the gym and work out on machines that will make me sweat that will make me hurt that will make me tired and make me sore because I think I can be healthier and fitter and faster and if I have this attitude that my greatest need is to learn how to love and not to be loved as we talked about before then when she says that, I say, okay, Gary, this is a time for you to grow in patience, in humility, in understanding, to become the kind of man that makes her feel cherished. Now, I want to throw out a caveat because it can be taken too far. Everything we say can be taken too far in one sense, and that's why people can criticize everything because I was very convicted one time in prayer by God when I felt like I had this tendency as I was praying for Lisa to try to turn Lisa into a love Gary like he wants to be loved machine. And that sounded so horrific and narcissistic and horrible, but that's where my fallen man goes. Um, And so, yeah, somebody can hear me say, you're supposed to kill that spider and that spider and that spider. And if you're not talking about killing your spiders, if you're talking to your spouse about killing their spiders, you've got to be careful You're not getting into that place where I go. It's a natural place where we're all tempted to go. Become that love me like I want to be loved machine instead of how do I love you. We're becoming the spider spouses we talked about. Well, and you talk about that conquering attitude as the differential. And I would think that takes that discussion to that deeper level. You know, which way you get off on the elevator might irritate your night. But (laughs) some couples are down to where this situation is never going to change. And they become very irritated, maybe even to the point where they're thinking of the D word. 
And I like that idea that you push a couple to think about how to see that obstacle or that situation, maybe a very serious situation, to see it as an opportunity to grow in your marriage. I don't think people in the heat of battle in their marriage, they're not going to think that way. So how, how do you condition yourself to flip that switch and say, okay, rather than go toe-to-toe on this, I'm going to see this as an opportunity to improve my marriage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I talk about the two dimensions of marriage. How can I get my needs met or how can I bless you? And as Christians, our response out of Genesis 12 to, which God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. So my call Every time there's conflict with my wife like that, it's am I fighting to get my needs met or am I fighting to bless my spouse? Now, that doesn't mean becoming a doormat because sometimes you have to stand up to bless your spouse. Blessing your spouse means doing what's best for them from God's perspective. Hmm. So they may not even be happy with it, but Hmm. you're still blessing them as far as, as God is looking at it. So I would say going into conflict, I used to hate conflict. I was so... I was just pathetically immature about conflict when I got married. I really thought if we had a good marriage, we wouldn't have conflict, and I feared conflict. But now I see it as a way to understand her. Okay, this is what gets you angry. This is what makes you fearful. This is what makes you feel insecure. And so instead of trying to come out and win, because if I win, that means she loses, and having a wife who feels like she lost, (laughs) there's no winning in that. Um, It's like, okay, how can I come out of this and understand you better? If we both have a commitment that we're not there yet, we need to grow in righteousness. Marriage is a great tool to help us become holy. So I'm going to write a book about that sometime. Um, Then every time we're in this conversation, okay, it's not about what frustrates me or frustrates you. What honors God? I mean, I talk about building a marriage worthy of our calling. So often we're concerned about how do I build the kind of marriage that honors me or makes me happy or makes me satisfied when I think Paul would call us to build the kind of marriage that pleases God, that glorifies God, that witnesses to God, a marriage worthy of our calling. Inspiring thoughts from our guest, as always, uh, Gary Thomas, on this episode of Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. And uh, I'm John Fuller. Today we're hearing a conversation recorded with Gary about his book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. Now, this is a great resource, and we'll encourage you to get your copy when you call 800, the letter A, and the word family, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. We'll be back after this. Each October, we observe a longstanding tradition here at Focus on the Family called Pastor Appreciation Month. A pastor's work is tiring, and we can all come alongside and encourage them as they work in our local churches. Focus on the Family has downloads, videos, and other tools to provide ideas to help you support your pastor and their family. Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation to get started. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Pastor Appreciation. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. 
Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Um, Let's move a little bit to practical. You speak in the book about the good thing of recognizing big milestones, maybe re-celebrating your anniversary and doing a, a recommitment ceremony, something like that, but something big. You caution couples to say, try to do it in small ways over a long period of time. Yeah. So to talk about that distinction. Yeah. It's just been my experience that, that small and steady beats big and sweaty every time. <laughs> I wouldn't agree with the sweaty part. Um, well, if you have this big grand gesture and think that it's going to take care of everything, if your wife's feel ignored and you have this great big weekend and then you just go back to things that they are, it's not going to last. In fact, it tells her, oh, you can do it but you're not continuing to do yeah, it. Yeah, not good. So it's finding those small things. And, and one was, um, well, a guest you've had here who I'm glad you have him as a guest. He's an incredible man, Kevin Harney. He's a pastor out in California. Was at a Promise Keepers conference. And appropriately, they were saying, okay, we want you to go home and do something specific for your wives. And so some were thinking, okay, I'm going to wash her car or I'm going to put a program on her computer. This was back in the 90s. And so Kevin was thinking, okay, what, what can I do? But he's the kind of guy that's going to listen to the Lord first. And he felt the Lord saying, what does Sherry, his wife, hate the most? And he goes, well, that's easy. She hates to make the bed. Okay, I'm going to make the bed for the next five days. And you know how God is silent? <laughs> Just saying, wait for it, wait for it, catch up, Kevin, catch up. And then he realized, okay, why don't you do it every day for the rest of your life and pray as you make the bed so that you have a good attitude about it? Uh, you can take away something. And so Kevin has now done that. I asked him like over 4,000 times now. He even does it in a hotel because he, he misses the opportunity to pray for it. Something little, but every day it makes Sherry feel loved. It's just this steady thing. This is what Kevin does. And so, you know, my wife has certain things I think we've talked about before. She's very organic and clean, and she doesn't like anything about a gas station. And so it's sort of my goal. How do I make it so that she never has to fill up the gas tank? And I'm not 100%, but I I try. If I'm going out on a trip, I'll try to take it out and and fill it up. It's just a simple thing that she knows she doesn't like to do that. She, whatever reason, also doesn't like ATMs. But she likes to go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning. So I know on Friday, I go to the ATM and my wallet's her ATM. It doesn't require a pin. (laughs) She just pulls the money out and she can go to the farmer's market on Saturday morning. It's just those little things saying, I get you. I just want to honor you. I just want to do this little thing for you. And I think that's far more than trying to do one big present or one big thing and just going back to things as they were. Physical health is developed slow and steady. What you eat, how you exercise. Wisdom is slow and steady. Reading, watching, you know, not watching too much. Prayer, going to church. Everything in life, if we look at it, you grow it through slow and steady. You can't go to one weekend conference and come out a mature Christian. You don't eat one healthy meal and work out of the gym one time and say that you have a healthy body. And I think the same thing is true of marriage. You Make don't? small steps. You don't do that? <laughs> oh, I, eat I unhealthy and, and go to the gym once? <laughs> I wish it worked I'm that sorry. Way. It did when I was 20. I could go for one run and then, and then I'd be back in shape. But, but I'm sorry you're making 50s. that point. No, that was... But, and I think looking back... Um, we could look at how some of the smallest things can make such a big impact. I think of two friends of mine, Paul and Virginia, have a marriage ministry out in the Northeast. 
and they had this dear couple that had supported their ministry and they were pretty well off. They went to Hawaii twice a year. They had a place out there and the husband died and the wife called him up and said, I just, I can't bear to go back to Hawaii without him. Would you come with me? And they said, certainly. We'll sacrifice for Jesus in Hawaii. We'll go to Hawaii with you. (laughs) And so Paul's out there and the wife just starts crying and he's like well yeah it's their first time and he goes what is it and she's just stumbling through tears I I wish I would have made him more jello he goes what I wish I would have made him more jello because what are you talking he goes he just loved jello and he'd always ask me to make it and I'd never make it because I said well it's just dye and sugar and she goes but that wasn't the reason I just didn't like to make it I didn't like to touch it she goes but it was such a little thing and it made him so happy if I could go back I just make him more jello. <laughs> and I just think how every marriage has that jello. Um, that one little thing where, you know what, this would really make my spouse feel cherished, loved, and honored if I would just do this. Or stop doing this if it's about killing a spider. Those little things, we look for the big things, and if we just consistently do the little things, I think we could be surprised at how strong and intimate, and I could even say it, happy our marriages might become. You know, one of the great concepts you have in the book, too, is this idea that um, you challenge younger couples and older couples, frankly, to think of their marriage in terms of eternity. Yeah. Um, Why is that eternal perspective so important? And thinking about, to combine it with another concept you had, which was think of the last day of your marriage. Well, I'm a Christian before I'm anything else more than I want marriages to get together, I want people to be reconciled to their creator. The motto of my ministry has been closer to Christ, closer to others, but closer to Christ comes first. And this section, I'm so thankful, Jim, that you brought it up because I even had an editor that said, you can't write about heaven to young people. They just turn it off. It's just, it's not relevant to them. It's not applicable to them. But when I read the Christian classics, even more when I read the words of Jesus, The vision, the hope of heaven should compel us. Heavenly rewards. You might be married to a spouse who never gets you, who never appreciates you. Jesus says if you love your heavenly father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. And so I think good deeds are are worthy of that. And And the pilgrims called themselves pilgrims not because they were coming from Europe to the United States. They called themselves pilgrims because they were citizens of heaven who are still on earth. Mm. And I just think we learn to love and I think it'll press our marriages and build our marriages when we have that, that heavenly goal. And so my goal is how do I make my wife's eternity even better? It's not just her life here, but how do we mutually encourage each other to these works that the Bible says will be rewarded? Um, and so Eternity just gives an entirely new perspective to my marriage. We're so often focused on how do I get a better spouse for this weekend or by next month or next year. I think when we start to look through the lens of eternity, we, we gain new motivation and new purpose. The last day that you talked about is realizing that there will be a last day of my marriage. Whether I go first or my wife goes first, there will be a time when marriage on this planet is over. And there'll be a time when I believe I'll be face to face with Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul does, for we must all appear. And in the Greek, this is just emphatic. We must 
all appear, the way it's written, it's just so emphatic, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Bad's unfortunate there. It really should be worthless. There's another word he could use if he meant just evil. So Paul is saying there's going to be a day when everyone hearing my voice right now will have a face-to-face with Jesus. Not to get into heaven. That's a different judgment. This is a judgment for Christians where Jesus will evaluate what we do. And the questions Jesus asked me will not be, did Lisa know your love language and meet it? Did Lisa know you needed respect and respect you? Did Lisa find out what your needs were and meet those? It will be 100%. Gary, did you know Lisa's love language and were you generous with that? Did you know that she needed to be loved, adored, and cherished? And did you do that? Did you make the bedroom a blessing instead of a burden and, and a demand? And I believe my eternity will be stamped by the way I treated God's daughter. Because I don't think anything matters to God as much as how I might treat one of his children. And so how I live my marriage today can literally impact eternity. Because the Bible promises me we will be rewarded, not salvation. That is a free gift of God. But God in his mercy and kindness says, even though you don't deserve heaven, I'm going to reward you in heaven as you act in obedience with sacrificial acts of love and good works. Well, that really was a powerful and convicting time with our guest, Gary Thomas. Uh, God has blessed Gary with such keen insight about how to make our marriages more holy and more in tune with God's design and purposes. And I hope you and your spouse have been encouraged today by this conversation. I strongly recommend you get Gary's book, A Lifelong Love, Discovering How Intimacy with God breathes passion into your marriage. It's an excellent resource that every couple should have in their library. And I think single adults who want to get married someday would benefit from Gary's wisdom as well. If you can send a gift of any amount to focus on the family, we'll put a copy of this book into your hands. That's our way of saying thanks for partnering with us to support and strengthen marriages today. We'd love to hear from you. Donate and get your copy of A Lifelong Love when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or go to focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And another resource we'd like to point you to is our free online marriage assessment, which is a simple little survey that doesn't take more than 10 minutes probably uh, to complete. It evaluates 12 essential traits of your marriage which can help you identify areas where you're strong and maybe an area or two of improvement. Again, that free assessment is available at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.